Hey everyone, welcome to Entrepreneurship by Design with Dr. C. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline, and thank you so much for joining us today. Entrepreneurship looks different for everyone. How and why we start our business, challenges that occur, pivots we have to make, success we achieve, all while life is happening. That's why I love sharing these inspiring entrepreneurs with you and shed light that there is enough room for everyone to succeed and thrive, even if you're in the same industry. I'm so glad you're here with us today because we have an amazing guest with us, Kara Payton. Kara is a published author, speaker, nervous system, and subconscious reprogramming expert, and top 10% ranked podcast host with five years experience in events, production, and volunteer team building for Tony Robbins. Known as the nervous system anti-hero, she helps women overcome anxiety, overwhelm, and self-doubt to increase their income, productivity, and confidence. As the host of the Happiness Habit podcast and founder of The Unshakable Woman, she trains highly driven women to reset their nervous system and reprogram their subconscious. Thank you so much for being here today, Kara. It is such a pleasure to have you, and I would love for you to just dive into your journey, how you got here today, and then we can go a little bit deeper. Absolutely. Thank you, Caroline, for having me. I'm excited to dive in today. Um, I, I mean, I've pretty much been the jack of all trades, and throughout the therapeutic industry, that's kind of that kind of still resonates very heavily. I started out uh, touring with Tony Robbins as a just volunteer team, team building, did events production. It was an amazing, wild, mind-blowing journey. And then after being offered a staff position there, it, you know, the critical mass was that I had three children at home. And in order to maintain that career at the cadence that they were needing from me, it was going to require me to travel two to three weeks out of the month. And as you may know, that's not possible when you have three kids at home. So I explored the accident. I left that and moved into more of a spiritual, heartfelt, somatic, you know, body type things, because there were still some things in the mindsets and mantras work that wasn't quite getting to some of these root causes. And I was curious about, okay, there's the limiting beliefs on top. There's the conscious thought, there's, you know, directed thought, Napoleon Hill principles of success and all of that. That's up here in the mind. I was really starting to get curious about the lumps under the rug that occur in the subconscious mind and things that are stored in the body. As I was being able to think through some of my problems and issues in my own life, I was noticing some repeated patterns that almost seemed like I didn't have much of a choice in the matter. And so that's where it led me today, where I teach now the nervous system reset, the actual clearing of emotional bandwidth and moving through some of these stored and trapped emotions, which is what you have today, essentially. <laughs> and I believe that. And I love that you really help individuals, women in particular, when it comes to the subconscious and the nervous system and all the overwhelm, overcoming anxiety, the overwhelm, the self-doubt that a lot of us experience in some form or fashion that we might not even really know because it's so deep in the subconscious. But I'm curious, what are some of the key strategies or techniques that entrepreneurs can start to implement to manage that stress and maintain the confidence in the face of a challenge that occurs? Well, that's, that's actually essentially two questions in one. So the the confidence bit, secondly, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment, but the stress aspect when we're talking, especially when we're talking to women, when we're talking to modern women, when we're talking to entrepreneurs, when we're talking to achievers, we're using the word stress as kind of an umbrella and essentially for an achiever, for an entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, when I'm one common phrase that I've kind of a common theme that I've found in my clients is that a woman entrepreneur is someone who went through a great deal of trauma. They went through a great deal of forced independence, which is, you know, of course, why they enter this market space. They don't want to be controlled. They don't want to be held down, held back, told what to do, et cetera. And that typically is, that typically resonates with people who were held down, went through trauma, were told what to do, feel trapped, feel unable to express themselves, or a significant detachment with a soft feminine able, ability to be and create and attract. We go into this go-getter boss babe mode, not realizing that that actually, most of the time, there was a detachment from a core, a core wound that took place that actually 
detach them from their, their core energy, their core essence. And so when we hear the word stress, more often what I hear underneath the surface, stress is a code word, an achiever's word for fear. It's an achiever's word for self-preservation. Mm-hmm. It's something I'm, I'm stressed out. Basically I'm stressed out. That's the tip of the iceberg. I want to share with you underneath of it are so the fear of failure the, uh, on the opposite side, the fear of success. There's so much going on underneath the surface of that. So I would say to that per to that person that is saying that they're constantly stressed out or they're overtaxed, overworked, underpaid, you know, wearing all the hats, doing all the things is to stop and do a self-inquiry practice, mm-hmm. implement some form of self-inquiry where you can take stress and then identify it mm-hmm. and find out, okay, stress from what fear of what, mm-hmm. uh, anxiousness, overwhelm of what, mm-hmm. because a lot of the times we, we say, you know, we're, we don't have a full outcome clear picture of whatever it is we're either attacking or trying to achieve. And any clarity clarity along the way can be an absolutely powerful tool. A lot of the times you ask people what they want. They can't tell you what they want. They can tell you what they don't want. And they know that clearly. Mm -hmm. And so they're spending their entire careers or their relationships trying not to hit the pole, but they're focused on the pole. They hit the pole to kind of box that up and put that away to talk about the confidence bit. Mm-hmm. especially when you have entrepreneurs, when you have women, when you have achievers, when you have all of this, there is a very significant lack of confidence because there's a misnomer of what confidence actually means. Mm-hmm. Confidence as we built it up in society is typically defined as something that can appear to be the appearance of keeping up appearances. Well, as you know, we can all do that. And then you see mm-hmm. the CEO fall down in the middle of a board meeting from an anxiety attack because she spent her whole time keeping up appearances and absolutely rotting from the inside out. Yeah. There's a reason for that. There's the self-abandonment piece of a constant ignoring of the signals and of the cues. Anxiety is information. It's a cue. It's supposed to be yielded. It's supposed to be an informant. We're supposed to look at it and ask and self-inquire more often than not. It's in the way of our productivity. It's in the way of our schedule. It's very inconvenient Mm -hmm. and we stuff it. It starts small, but we stuff it. And over time, as that emotion, as that, that sensation gets stuffed, it will look for another path, a path of least resistance and stuffed over time. It will start showing up in chronic migraines chronic pains and anxiousness, a ca- we cut, you know, it's, oh, I'm anxious because I've had too much caffeine. No, <laughs> you're actually anxious because your cortisol level has had so many, you're pumping so much cortisol in your system from the caffeine, from the overwork, from the adrenaline of racing and rushing and all of that, mm-hmm. that it ends up coming out in all in one moment. Oh, well, you know, the poor thing's stressed out. We, we use so many different language misnomers that no wonder we're all lost in looking for the answers, but confidence broken down into a daily practical step for entrepreneurs that are listening to this or any kind of, you know, working busy achiever, you know, somebody seeking their highest self, essentially start by keeping your promises, your word to yourself. Mm-hmm. Over time, this compounds into a relationship you have with yourself that, you know, you have your own back. Yeah. This eventually crystallizes into feeling capable. Mm-hmm. When you feel capable, you are creating a response to an internal fear. You're creating a, a language, re- almost a, a f- more than a language, but a, an, an embodiment mm-hmm. of something that cancels out that fear of not being enough, of being unworthy of, you know, any, any number of things. And then your stress level, because you're capable is also answered. You've Mm -hmm. proven to yourself. I say what I'm going to do. I do what I'm going to do. I say what I'm, I mean, what I say, I say what I do, all of that. It's just, it all flows into alignment where now you are more of a whole embodied human being. So identify what stress actually is, and then start keeping your promises to yourself every day. 
I love that. It goes back to keeping those promises with ourselves. Really, I think the most important relationship we have is with ourselves. And there's a lot of times this misconception or common beliefs that we're telling ourselves of, well, I have to just get through this presentation or I have to get through this day and get the kids to whatever activity they're going to. But really understanding too, there's a lot of patterns that happen, I'm sure, and limiting beliefs that you probably see in your clients. And what are some of those common patterns or subconscious beliefs that hold women back from reaching their full potential as entrepreneurs that you've seen personally? Well, the main one that I see most often is the tactical busyness. This, like you said, I'm going to get it done. I just need to get through this meeting. I just need to get through this uh, event. I just need to get through this week. I just need to get through this day. And the problem with that is that achievement is a, a constantly receding horizon. It will never, you say, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to get, I've got my calendar all locked up. I just need to get these few busy tasks off of the list. Well, tomorrow's day comes with tomorrow's tasks, but you still have yesterday's and you will have tomorrow's tomorrow's. And that list of busyness never goes away. We also have, so tactical business is essentially keeping yourself busy with the nothing that moves the needle. It's the ever present daily things. If you have forgotten to do something that you normally do every day, and it is going to get in the way of something that actually moves the needle forward or creates a solid foundation under you, skip it for tomorrow for the love of God just put it off till tomorrow. Mm -hmm. There are so many times and even I'm any, anything, first of all, just to way, go way back to insert this in the beginning of the conversation. As if you're listening to me and think that I have done all this perfectly and all of that, and I have something special advantage, like you're giving yourself an out. I screw up on this on a weekly basis. And I create rules for myself. And there are times when I'm just, I'm, I'm nego- I still do the self-negotiation process. I have gotten better. It is a work in progress and it's ne- perfection is never the outcome for me. It's a 1% incremental difference from the day before. So I'm speaking to you as a construction zone as well. <laughs> so do not make the mistake of thinking that, okay, I'm on a podcast. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm outwardly successful or whatever. And so I have some sort of special advantage or have it all together. If you tell yourself that you're immediately giving yourself an out, not to fully engage, fully listen and fully qualify yourself to sit in this conversation. So me and Caroline might be talking, but (laughs) listen as a person who is also in on the conversation, asking yourself these questions and engaging inside with these questions, because Caroline probably has it too. I have it too. (laughs) These are all practices. Like this is the ideal, not the perfect. Yes. Thank you for clarifying. So true. And I appreciate you sharing that because I do think there's a lot of times where on the outside, it looks perfect, but perfect doesn't exist. There's Mm -hmm. constant moments. I know I struggle with it too, of the common limiting beliefs that will pop in my head. I'm like, no, 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 not today. I don't have time for you today. But understanding too, that we all go through it in different capacities, but it is there. And each level, I don't know if you've experienced this, but as you've leveled up in every capacity, there becomes this imposter syndrome at that next level. You're like, oh, do I belong here? Like I felt that so many times. I don't know if you've felt that or just the people that you work with as well, where as you're up leveling in each aspect, it comes in the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is a tricky one because it's, it's an internal dialogue that we have with ourselves that we assume we're exclusive to. Mm -hmm. And we have people that we hold up on pedestals and assume they've never, they've never had failure. Um, We engage because of imposter syndrome, we engage in these activities like procrastination and perfectionism and overanalyzing or paralysis of all of that stuff is just, Mm -hmm. it gets, it's this internal self gaslighting. And, you know, there's so many ways we can kind of disprove and get a a, hell, a hold of the imposter syndrome itself, because it's like, there's anybody that takes a step toward anything that zero step zero to step one, everybody's an imposter in that space. If we're looking at it by the traditional conventional definition of what it means is that somebody stepping into a role they don't belong in or something. Well, step zero, literally thinking about the the pure basic metric of it. If you're not at step one and you're in step zero and you take a step towards step one, the person that was in step zero does not belong in step one because until the moment that they 
belong there and they've stepped there. The information from step zero to step one doesn't exist. There is no amount of readiness. There is no amount of education or information that you need to collect that will prepare you for that. That action point goes from zero momentum to all pure will and inertia. Nothing prepares you for the first step. Willingness is readiness. Mm -hmm. And then the magic thing is once you've taken that step one, all of the information in step one prepares you for step two, Mm -hmm. but everybody's an imposter to start because they're not there yet. Mm -hmm. The day that I pick up a camera, the day before I picked up a camera, the moment before I picked it, the second before I picked up a camera, I'm not a photographer. When I pick up my camera, I am now a photographer, but yes, that mental cue of discomfort of not being not being in that role exists for everyone. Until I step on a stage, I'm not a speaker. Until I step on a podcast guest, as a guest, I'm not a, I'm not a guest appearing podcast person. I just, it doesn't happen until the moment it does. So imposter syndromes, just understand that it's self-gaslighting and we do it to ourselves, all of us do. And it exists until you step in that foot and say, no, here I am. I am a presidential candidate, whatever it is. (laughs) I I love how you put that because I've never heard it used in that capacity of gaslighting ourselves. And it puts it in a huge perspective for a lot of people listening to that might've never heard of imposter syndrome or have been experiencing it. But I'm curious, how can they reprogram their subconscious to overcome these limitations that are happening internally? Well, so there's a lot of myths and misconceptions about the subconscious. That it's some deeply woven, impossible to hack place inside of us with all of these mysterious habits and patterns and programs that now, yes, it runs on loop, but there's a reason it runs on loop. And it's actually our brain is defaulted to look for the negative, to look for the danger, to look for the sharp edges, to look for the tiger, whatever. We already know this. This is nothing new. Mm-hmm. But There's actually, the other side of that is there's nothing in the brain that looks for the positive, that will look for the good, that will look for the safety. It doesn't look for it anywhere. It is automatically programmed. Your mind, if you have a negative mindset, if you are somebody that considers yourself a pessimist or a skeptic, you're a normal human. You are a normal factory default human to have a negative mindset. A positive mindset, one that does look for safety, does look for the positive aspect, does look for the good, that is implanted by repetition Mm -hmm. to create a habit. Now, a habit is another machine that we give a lot of crazy credit for with the subconscious mind. We give so many different falsehoods and and factoids Mm -hmm. about it that don't exist. Also with habits is that it's some mysterious machine that you can you turn on for 10 days and 21 days or seven weeks or eight weeks or three years or whatever, this mysterious timeline that we create a habit for. And that's also BS complete and utter utter bullshit. There's not 10 days to washboard abs or 21 days to quit smoking or anything, any, any of that. A habit is nothing more than a function repeated until memorized. Yeah. Until memorized until you do not have to think about it. A function you perform that you do not have to think about anymore. So what does that tell us? We repeat it until we do not have to think about it anymore. Well, where's the timeline on that? It doesn't exist. Uh It's four days for something easy with a lot of pleasure and dopamine thrown our way and norepinephrine and anything that's just like pleasurable. It's like, oh, we our reward system's pretty, pretty set. It's pretty good. But we have, if we have a low reward, a high cue and a very difficult task to replace in the middle of it, it's going to take us a while to make that habit a habit. So with our subconscious, our subconscious is programmed by repeated thought, undirected thought. Mm -hmm. So if you did not direct your thoughts and your thought default program is that I'm fat, I'm incapable, I'm not worthy, I was abandoned, I, any number of things. Mm -hmm. And you repeat that on loop, you're going to have have to implant consciously over and over and over and over and over and over and over until memorized that supplants the existing. Mm -hmm. It's really quite that simple. And 
where the soma comes into it, the body comes into it, the healing, the transformative work is there's a lot of times that some program has become very, very sticky because it has an experience that proved it right as an experience that dropped and implanted that thought into the subconscious. And so it sits there with a whole lot of Velcro around it because this experience proved it true. The brain created a definition, created an emotion, created all sorts of stuff that creates all this sticky Velcro to this one thought. The brain will also now, because of this other subconscious, this subconscious thought that exists, all Velcroed and nicely tucked in and not going anywhere for a really long time, the brain's going to do things in the world as far as our lens, our language, our physiology, all of that to reprove it because it wants to prove to ourselves the familiar. We're addicted to the familiar, even if it's not good for us. Right. So we're looking all, all out in the world mm-hmm. for things that prove this subconscious thought true. Mm-hmm. And so we look around with our subconscious thought and we don't even know that we're looking right at it because mm-hmm. it's through the lens of the world. We're not even realizing we're looking through these subconscious thoughts and looking through these beliefs and looking through these lenses. So the issue is it's kind of a, you know, your limiting belief because it's in your conscious mind. If I say I have a limiting belief of X, Y, Z, that's in my conscious. I can choose again. And all of a sudden it's not a limiting belief because if I know it and could choose other than it, it's not a limiting belief. I'm doing it to myself. I look through the one that's choking me and it's my own hand, right? The subconscious one is tricky because I'm looking through a lens of the world and it's everywhere. And so I don't even realize it's like all of a sudden you put on a certain kind of glasses or a certain, you know, where you put on the red glasses and now you can't see red. It's the same thing. I'm looking through the subconscious belief, not even realizing that I'm looking at it everywhere I look. So yeah. that's a really kind of I try to make it comprehensive. It's a little techie. It's a little sciencey. It's a little fun, but that's the simplest way that I could put why it's so tricky, but here's, you know, the reverse engineer of that. It's actually quite simple, simple, not easy. (laughs) Yes, definitely agree with that. It is simple. It's not easy, but it's put the willpower to change that or even become aware of it. And I'm really curious what inspired you to even start looking into the nervous system and the subconscious reprogramming, what triggered that for you? I was completely and utterly exhausted at the industry. I was going to talk therapy week in, week out. Mm-hmm. I wasn't getting anywhere. I was repeating these same traumatic stories, these same traumatic meanings. And I was just having basically a yes person nod their head and ask me the same question on loop. And now granted, this is absolutely no discredit or devaluing or minimizing the value that talk therapy can have. There is a powerful way, a sorting mechanism. It helps you to look objectively or subjectively or dive in to any number of degree, depending on the therapist that I personally found was just a nod, very passive, not involved particular therapist. It's a wrong fit and I'm grateful for it. Mm -hmm. And there's people that have a wrong fit. If you feel like it's not going anywhere, you're not benefiting up from it. It's not necessarily therapy it's the therapist. It's the, maybe the individual alignment or malignment that you have with one individual. So just wanted to clarify, because I do have a lot of very unconventional, I guess we'll say anti, (laughs) not anti-therapy, but anti therapeutic process that is taught there. That's very, just kind of, it, it goes the opposite direction. It's very upstream. It's very, um, what am I thinking? Uh, flashes in the face of everything that kind of they believe in. I'm kind of a, I'm the one that's coming like rearing. I'm going the opposite in the line from the the back to the front to the front to the back. Um, and my practices are very, very different because I went through years I spent $50,000 in coaching programs, retreats, workshops, books, um, spent another 50,000 on touring with these deep intensive, you know, I did therapy, I did medication, I did all that. And it all left me even more sure that something was really inherently wrong with me, that there wasn't anything that I was going to be able to do to fix this. It was just, it was exclusive to me. And I didn't stop. I was like, well, but if it's not, it was the curiosity to let myself have one more day of, well, let me see if I can disprove it today. Let me see if I can try this today. I was still very, very curious. 
because I knew that there was a part of me that was still calling for a little bit more, for a little bit more of a reach, for a little bit more information. Mm-hmm. It wasn't quite ready yet. And it was a, a still small voice that I ended up learning was this, was this beautiful, brilliant inner child, this inner mm-hmm. guy that was like, you know, I, this isn't your thing. That's all, that's all it is. It's, yeah. this isn't the method. Yeah. This isn't the practice. This isn't the whole picture. Mm-hmm. And I eventually learned that I was able to create language to it of the glass ceiling, this barrier that I felt like it was like trying to walk through a screen door. I would, I would, you know, fall face first smack dab into the screen door and couldn't figure out like, why can't I go through? Mm-hmm. And I eventually had a pain leverage point of like that 51%. Where I was like, absolutely just exhausted mm-hmm. at running into the screen door over and over and over again. And I don't exactly remember the moment, but there was a shift from trying to think about it to trying to feel about it. Mm. And I moved into that space and I felt my way through and I had my first small breakthrough on something that I could not get ahead of. Mm. And it was all, I felt my way through the whole thing Mm. and I got on the other side and it was, it dawned on me that our mind and body is not separate at all. Mm -hmm. We can act like it. And there's so many things that we do for ourselves where the answer, if we took the mind and the body or the mind and the heart, wind in the superior, whatever you want to do, however you want to compartmentalize it. If you took them and made them like two different rooms, Mm -hmm. what society does now is the answer. We'll say it's keys and a house rooms and keys in a house. Our answer are the keys and we put them in the living room. Mm. that's where the information goes. It, it's stored in the body. We'll say the body is the living room. The heart is the, the living room. It's the other part of us, but we're in our mind. So we're in the kitchen looking for these damn keys, right? We can't figure out why we can't find the keys. We know the keys are there. We know it. We can feel the disease. We can feel the anxiety. We can feel the stress. We can feel the fear, the worry, the panic, whatever. We can feel that there's a problem. And we're overturning every single cabinet where you're opening every single door. We've looked in the oven. We stuck our head in the freezer, everything, no keys to be found. Mm-hmm. And the door between the kitchen and the living room is locked. If we start to integrate our body, our felt sense, our sensations, and we pay attention to ourselves, that door becomes unlocked. Mm-hmm. And if we go in there also integrating it as part of the house, part of the whole house, we can find the keys, but we can't find the keys if we're looking for a problem solution in our mind, because the same state of mind that knows about the problem that can articulate the problem that can spell it out all day long for mm-hmm. 20 hours with all their girlfriends or a therapist or on a book or in a journal, all that can detail it to the upteenth degree still mm-hmm. cannot create the solution, cannot find the wholeness, cannot find the big picture, cannot find the answer. So long-winded way of saying, I got tired of looking in the kitchen with my mind to try and solve all of my problems. I knew there was a whole other piece of the picture to be added. And I finally found that with breath work, with body sensation, with meditation and with mind and heart coherence. I love it. And I appreciate you sharing that too, because it gives concept. I think for a lot of individuals being a former therapist myself, I know there's not one way to help somebody. And I think that therapy can be beneficial for some in some capacities, and then it takes you to another journey. And I believe in holistically helping somebody just as you do too, but it's understanding that your mind and your body are so connected. And I've done so much research on this too, but also feeling it myself and knowing, okay, like something might be wrong. Like I used to have a lot of stomach pains. I've talked about this a lot on here, but really it was a lot of the stress that I was carrying anxiety and overwhelm and not being able to vocalize it. But I love your example of the kitchen, like an understanding to the house and where things are connected and not connected, but really being able to know that you can't live without one of the other. And it really is cohesive, but being able to embody that too from day to day. And that can be really challenging for so many people to even be aware of that. But I love that you didn't stop. You kept going to figure out what the solution would be for you. And now you're getting to help so many people. And I'm curious if you could just share one or two success stories of the work you've been able to do for yourself. And now you're helping so many women in particular 
really work on that journey of the overwhelm and the, no, I was going to say stress, but all the other things subconsciously that are happening for them. If you could share just one or two. Yeah. So there was a woman uh, last year who was basically running up against the same inability. She thought it was a, um, she thought it was her inability to be vulnerable and she was reading all the right things. She was studying Brene Brown to the upteenth degree. I mean, she was doing all the, all the things where she was getting it intellectually very, very full bodied. She had the intellectual knowledge pumped through her and she could recite any number of things. And, but she was an adopted child, just like I was, who had a very tumultuous childhood and was essentially created a story that she was abandoned by her father. And her mother had very, very volatile boyfriends and very violent replacements. And the, the household became very disruptive. Mm-hmm. She ended up discovering, recovering a full memory where one of these men had um, taken advantage of her as a little girl and was just, would touch her inappropriately at rapid fire at random, didn't seem to have a, a nightly routine or anything. He was just kind of, he would at random decide in cyclical, cyclically that this was the month or this was the week where he was going to pull her into private spaces when her mom was not around. And so she developed a subconscious belief in her for natural reasons, obviously this stored emotion that was, we have a, she had a trauma. She stored it in her nervous system and she was attracting men because of that, who were the same type of men. This imprint in her as a child had become very, very clearly defined as unsafe men is my imprint. Unsafe men are the only men that I can have because her mother's attraction to these unsafe people meant that she had developed all these stories that she was going to end up with somebody like her mom and all of that. And so she was trying now fast forward. That's, that's her childhood. That's her experience. And that's what she defined it as fast forward to when she met me, she's wondering why she cannot be vulnerable with partners. Well, there's twofold there. Mm -hmm. One of them is that vulnerability was the antithesis of what she should be doing as a child or now because of who she's attracting. She's attracting violent, dangerous people. Mm -hmm. So to want to be vulnerable and to be seeking vulnerability with an unsafe person, everything in your nervous system, everything in your mind, everything is going to be like, absolutely not. That is a hot stove. We do not touch hot stoves. I had hot stove touch me. I'm not going to be open with one. So there's so many disadvantages. She wanted to be vulnerable, but not only her partners not to be vulnerable with, Mm-hmm. but her imprint otherwise had long taken vulnerability off of the table. And for good reason, her, yeah. her body's intelligence told her, this is not a safe thing to do. Vulnerability is the opposite. Yeah. Um, and before then she's like, I remember a time when I was vulnerable. I remember a time when I was vulnerable, I was able to be open. I was able to be, but it was pre the divorce of her parents. Mm-hmm. her biological father. And then she turns out, it turned out that she recovered the memory that her father, she was actually be able to be vulnerable and open with her father before he passed. And so she returned back to that. She healed all of this generational trauma. She healed her, her wound with her mother, not um, preventing this from happening. She healed the story that she told her about being a victim to these men. And then she healed, forgave herself for making her inner child try to be vulnerable and open with unsafe men. Like all of this, all of this work occurred. And we did that through a lot of intensive, um, holotropic breathing. And then we moved into more of a, we did breath work to release emotions, but we did it at her own pace. So we regulated a pace that was felt good for her. So holotropic is very intensive. It kind of throws you into a sympathetic nervous system state. It activates you. 
and it kind of is meant to purge the unwanted emotions, purge the store, purge the stored things. And then it's, it's, it's strictly a purge process. It's very intensive, not something that I would recommend to start, but then the, the breath work, emotional release done at your own pace, something that's meant to be a regulatory nervous system reset type breathing is done at your own pace. You move into the sympathetic and you pull back into the parasympathetic and you pull back into the sympathetic and back into the, to show yourself, I have control. I have autonomy. I have the ability to choose and health is the ability to choose. So that was my main, most recent success story. I'm so, so proud of her right now. Um, she's not in it. It's super, super new. She's not in a new relationship yet. Um, she actually decided for right now, she just, she wants to discover more of who she is. She wants to travel for a little bit. And she actually has a very adorable a story and assumption that she's actually going to meet somebody while she's traveling. So, oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> and I appreciate you sharing that story, just how powerful the mind and the body are. But I love the fact that you brought in the aspect of her trying to be vulnerable when her body was protecting her. And I think that speaks volumes too, because our bodies sometimes have to speak louder than what we're saying, because intellectually, we're all very smart and can read and listen to podcasts and talk to therapists and talk to um, coaches and everything of that capacity. But it's this inner work too, and realigning that. And I love that you were able to help her and guide her through that and the process it took to get there. And now she's sounds like she's thriving and being able to just really be in herself and put herself out there in traveling. And hopefully she does meet someone who is safe and a good person too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I appreciate you sharing that story. And I know a lot of that had to do with mindset shift too, but internally, and I'm curious, what are some of the key mindset shifts or practices that may contributed to her success, but also that contribute to anybody's success? And when you shift the mindset and are open to these different modalities as well. So the word mindset always these days kind of, it's one of those words that's, that's overused, you know, it's, it's definitely, um, it's just about mindset. It's mind mindsets and mantras are only are only part of the work. Yeah. But if we're going to start with the mindset, we have to understand that we have where we are and where we our current surroundings is nothing more than a reflection of our language, mm-hmm. our lens, our meanings, all of the different things, all of the different words that we use, the way that we view everything creates all of this. And so a lot of the time, you know, when we talk about uh, picturing something you want, saying what you want, repeating it to yourself, even moving into like a Joe Dispenza space where you're, you're seeing it until you feel it and all that stuff, that stuff's wonderful. But Mm -hmm. if we, if we can do that, what we're also, the first part of the work is also to understand that everything that you have right now is also done in the same creation process. We just did it either to our detriment or by default Mm -hmm. to participate in this. We're participating in the things we don't want just as much as the the things that we do want. Mm -hmm. And we don't really take that responsibility. And the first thing that I would say to anybody wanting to shift their mindset is you don't have to be at fault for everything, but you are damn responsible for it. Mm. The things that happened to you may have been wonderful, may have been terrible. Things may have been taken from you. Things may have been chosen for you. Things, people may have betrayed you. People may have absolutely disadvantaged you. Of course. Okay, great. Not your fault. Free and clear. I will give you a permission to fault someone else and blame someone else. However, be mindful that if you blame somebody else, your blame cannot unseat itself from the power that you also hand them to. If you have to blame somebody else for it, you're giving them your power. You are handing that. It's, you can't separate blame from power to blame someone you have to give a degree of your power away to them. So I would spare yourself that whole process and just resign to the fact that it doesn't matter whose fault it is. It doesn't matter who's blame Mm -hmm. to take that requires so much from you in the process. That's not necessary. How much better could it be to say, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. It's my responsibility. Mm -hmm. So I'm implanting myself in the present moment both feet fully embodied in the ability to do something about it 
from here on. You can blame your parents for everything, but after 18, you can blame them for nothing because those decisions from that day forward are yours that day behind you. Sure. All day long. They sucked. They disadvantaged you. They made you believe they taught you all the wrong way. That decision-making process. I had a terrible childhood. I had a tumultuous childhood. I had a chaotic childhood. My parents were a mess. My parents are still a mess, but I could define that in a way that makes me a victim, paints me as a martyr, paints me as helpless. And it's just learned helplessness to give somebody else, give me some, give somebody else that power. Or I can say, thank God they were the way they were because they taught me everything not to do. They gave me the cheat code to how not to be. Mm-hmm. All of the wrong paths, all of the bad paths, all of the dark doorways have been caution taped clearly for me. They gave me the greatest hack to life on all the ways not to do. I learned if I can take all their mistakes and gather them up, I'm going, okay, this is a brilliant nugget of powerful, potent information. Mm-hmm. But often we don't do that because it's so much better to just offseat the, the responsibility and to uncouple ourselves from power to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. Step one for any mindset shift. You don't have to worry about the fault and you're responsible for all of it mm-hmm. is, is the biggest shift that I would make. The only way that I would even follow or amend that with anything else mm-hmm. is that the way that you perceive anything, mm-hmm. if you can dare to really question it instead of just take it at face value. And when you think you've questioned it, question it again, Mm. question it again, question it again. Mm -hmm. Questions lead to answers. Answers do not lead to answers. And so if you know everything and you're still stuck, well, then you're really screwed. But if you can start unboxing some of these things, it's like, do I really know that? Mm -hmm. Is that really the way it was? Is that really the option in front of me? Is that the only option in front of me? What could be truer than this? What could be even truer than this? And continue to move the the more periods that you can absolutely eliminate and replace with question marks, the better your life will be when it comes to shifting your mindset. So those are the those are the two I would say most potent for for shifting the mind. Mm, I love those. And I think you just spoke to something that's so important taking responsibility and the power aspect too, because a lot of times people will blame other people for their mishaps or decisions they made, but we do have control over decisions. We might not think we do, but we truly do. And I think that's an important factor to realize because a lot of people go through this life and I've heard it from so many different people, so many different walks of life of, well, it's my mom's fault or my dad's fault or my sister's fault or whatever it may be. And realizing okay, well, that's on them. How can you shift that? How can you focus in on the path you want to take? And you're right. It's so many tools that people have been given where you realize what you don't want to do or you don't want to experience. It gives it a very clear viewpoint versus someone who's never experienced it. Of course, nobody wants to go through that, but it gives you a little advantage of knowing what is not going to be in your future or how Mm -hmm. you can shift that. And I think that's a really important concept. And just even considering your expertise in the nervous system and the subconscious reprogramming, how can entrepreneurs in particular leverage these concepts to really enhance that decision-making, problem-solving, and overall performance in their business in particular? So what I lean on above all else when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to creating clarity, is an idea of when you can feel yourself and know yourself and embody yourself and keep your promises and have that relationship built with yourself, you develop a rock, not only rock solid confidence, but authenticity. And authenticity basically lies at the foundation of everything that we do. If I know who I am, truly I have my identity, laid out. I know my values. I know what I stand for. I know who I am. I know what I believe in. I know where I'm going, all of that. Everything can be reversed engineered from that identity, from that true authentic identity. I know where I'm going to go. I know where I'm not going to go. I know what I'm going to do. I know what I want. I know what I don't want. All of these things are clear. 
And so from an identity, my friend, Cody Jefferson talks about this. He says, if you know who you are, your wants, your everything falls out of that. What I want comes out of who I am. What I'm going to do comes out of who I am. All of it can be. So a self-inquiry process, Mm -hmm. moving toward your authentic self, the biggest hack for your business, for your mind, for your relationships, for your money, for your health is to get absolutely unencumbered by false senses of self, by a false identity, by false illusory filters, by masks, by facades, by roles, by characters, anything that would be in your way of tapping into a core of who you are Mm -hmm. and then practice every single day, showing up as that person 1% more. Every single day I get into bed before sleep and I'm like, I'll reflect on the day. And then I ask, okay, what could be an even truer version of myself that could show up tomorrow? And then I demand it with certainty that my subconscious show me the plan, the way, and the ideas for how to show up a little bit more of myself today than yesterday. And it's that 1% difference. 1% difference is all it takes. That compounding effect will get you to the outcome, no matter how far it is, no matter if, even if it's lifelong. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think because it breaks it down too. So you're not feeling like I have to do a 360 or 100% better tomorrow, but that 1%, it really allows it to be in those bite sizes. So you can work backwards too of who you are, but then everything embodies that of what you're doing, what you're saying, who you're being, because it's your true self. I was just having this conversation the other day with somebody about that. And it's just really being able to show up as our authentic selves, because there's room for all of us and everybody brings something different to the table. But knowing that when we stand on our power, we can be helping so many people in so many capacities and reaching so many people. And outside of the work you're doing, I know you have a workbook that you've been working on that's nearly released about to be released, but if you could share a little bit more about that and how people can work with you. Absolutely. I'm so excited about this workbook. Oh my God. It's, (laughs) it's essentially, it takes, I, I want, I loved working one-on-one with people. I loved it, but it kept pulling the strings of kind of almost this codependent nature where they're looking to me for guidance. They're looking to me for answers. And obviously when I just said authenticity is at the foundation of everything, that means people need to be able to self-reference self-rely. And Mm -hmm. if they're getting their answers for me and I'm a coach and I'm coaching them and more often than not, they were telling me, they were asking me to tell them what to think. And it's like, no, we're teaching you how to think. And I kept going back and forth with this language of, I need people to know that they know and move them into a place of self-referencing and self-reliance and self-guidance, self-transformation. And that's where the reauthenticated workbook comes from. It's a, basically a self transformation guide to personal freedom and confidence so that way, you know, you have your answers and I'm completely off the hook. All I get to do is I get to watch you. I get to fan the flame. I get to champion you. And I basically get to emphasize every single time I watch an authentic revelation come across your face. I can just boom and just emphasize it. And so, because just what you were saying, when you can do the 1% every single day and you can move in yourself, your nervous system goes along with it because it's not this stark shock to your system that goes, that's where self-sabotage comes from. You get so far away from something you're comfortable with and your nervous system goes, uh-uh, come back over here. We're not doing that. We're not going there. Mm-hmm. And this workbook is designed for a person to go through an entire life self-inquiry their mind, their body, their history, their beliefs, their lens, their language, their physiology, their personality, they break it down to the granular cellular level. Mm -hmm. And then we reprogram, we move through trauma. We get through some of the things that were, have been this invisible screen door, this glass ceiling. We find out where, what is actually underneath the subconscious stuff. Where is it actually sitting? It looks invisible. Let's put on these glasses that actually get to the bottom of it. It also has the, in, in case of emergency places, if you're going through an emotional crisis, it kind of, it, you self-talk off the ledge, going through a mental spiral, it gets you to slow that down, break it down, remove the, uh, the periods and replace it with question marks, kind of break down that. So it's basically my life's work to put no finer point on it. It's, it's a huge resource for anybody that's like, I am exhausted. I just want to figure life out. 
And it's the catalyst. I would say it's probably the most chef's kiss thing I've ever created in my life. (laughs) I love it. And, you know, because it's your life's work, there's so much heart and soul put into it too, to really help people in so many different capacities where they can use it as a resource to really have that thinking for themselves and work themselves through it. Because they think that's the ultimate gift too, because somebody can have a perspective of it, but we know our true selves too from internally and what would work best, but being able to have the resources and tools to make those different decisions, to problem solve in a situation where we're feeling like we're spiraling and being able to talk ourselves out of it and knowing, okay, this is temporary. This is what I'm feeling in the moment, but how can I get myself out of that? How can I learn these steps? And I love that you've created it to really help so many more people. And I know you even have a podcast too. You're helping people in so many capacities, (laughs) but you're the host of the Happiness Habit Podcast. What are some of the habits or practices that have really helped highly driven women incorporate into their daily lives to cultivate happiness, but also maintain a positive mindset through this entrepreneurial journey? That is a roller coaster. (laughs) That's a great question. The happiness habit podcast became this huge umbrella for all things that support creating a life you love in any capacity because happiness can be defined. Somebody, somebody thinks it's cheap. Another person thinks it's the, the the golden rainbow. There's so many different ways to umbrella that, but ultimately we do want to create a life. We love, we do just want to be happy, whether or not, whether or not we define that as joy or however we define it, if we define it as success, if we design it as a relationship, as being a mother, whatever the case, it just kind of became this place for all of these, all walks of life, all these oddballs and pillars and crazy unconventional thinkers all to just come have a conversation about life stuff. And The thread that's really pulled into it for me most is creating a dialogue with yourself. And that's kind of what the workbook comes around to is like, when I, you get through the end of the workbook and you realize that I didn't guide you through it, that you guided yourself through it, that you found your answers, that you discovered the barrier that at the end of the day, that big gap that you thought was this monumental mountain in your life that you were, you know, shopping for and adding to cart for and registering for access for and clicking to download and all of this crap, all the things you added to your cart did not displace the fact that at the end of the day, you were the champion. You were the one on the finish line. You were the one writing the race. You were the key. You were the door. You were the lock, everything. Mm-hmm. And so I create very critical thinking questions and critical thinking conversations that help somebody unpack everything. And as far as happiness goes, when we're really answering the question in a literal sense, I help people create their life laws that if they, on a daily basis, focus on these three, four things, whatever it is for them, three, four, five, six, seven things to create a perfect day. a a perfect little brick in the wall of life that that one perfect brick was perfectly laid, perfectly shaped, perfectly executed in this ideal sense to where the wall may never get done. The wall may never, it may never reach wherever we think it's going to reach. But as far as every single day becoming this tiny little masterpiece toward the ideal. And I have mine too. I have my little promises to my future self. You can't necessarily see it, but it's, it's a list of nine things that if I manage to get those nine things done in a day, I will consider myself an ideal, perfect little masterpiece, masterfully made building block to the perfect life and reverse engineering that following my law, my law. I love that. And I think it just gives that sense of really embodying what you want to be, who you want to be and showing up just as perfectly as or imperfectly perfect as you are. And I think that's the beautiful thing too, of just remembering that and doing those little things that make such a difference in the long run too, that you're focused on the nine things that you have on your list. I know there's a few things that I every day do for me that make me feel good inside, inside out, really just going back to taking care of ourselves starting from the inside out, from the nervous system and knowing that we do have control, but if we're open to really making a shift in our lives and it starts with us, nobody else can change that for us. We can read all the books, do all the things, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to our relationship with ourselves and taking care of ourselves first so we can show up for other people. And I wanted to ask you, because I know you mentioned you have children and what has it been for you, motherhood and entrepreneurship and integrating the two together? 
Uh, I love that you use the word integration because a lot of the times that conversation, that question is the word that's used as balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and as you know, I, I think that's why you use the word integration is because balance is an illusory, mm-hmm. um, a word that's kind of designed based on a presupposition that's just very, very imp- disproportionately placed on the altar of perfectionism. I integrate mother and businesshood, motherhood and business. There we go. Imperfectly perfect. We're in, we're in businesshood. <laughs> New thing. Everybody knows about it now. <laughs> As a mother and an entrepreneur, it's pieces of my identity and I don't compartmentalize as a woman. I think that that's kind of that leave your work at the door, leave, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I think that's, that's language that was built for masculine, for sorting energy, for compartmentalization energy, for doer achiever energy. I think women in order to move into more of a, an integration with both of them, look at it more as a flow state. Mm -hmm. If you want to, you know, we're always flowing because we always have all these tabs going and I'm, I'm thinking about motherhood right now. And, you know, right now I'm on the podcast. So I have more flow going toward my entrepreneurship self and my, the business building and all of that and becoming, so I have my, not even a business hat on, I have more of a lean. I'm leaning more onto my entrepreneurship leg because it's still going. I'm a woman, no tabs are fully closed. And so here in a moment, when we're done here, it's now it's, five o'clock my time. And so we're going to be moving into more of a afternoon dinner space. I'm going to lean more onto my motherhood leg, Mm -hmm. but they're all still existing. They all, all of those identities, all of those pieces and those fragments of myself are constantly informing me. It's just one is requires a little bit more of my focus. So I think the integration is bring your family on board, bring your business on board, blend the two. You are all of them. When I show my personal life and my business, and, you know, my, my kids are respectful of my time and space, but if they were to decide to walk in the door right now, it's like, well, yeah, they're here. I mean, it is, it is what it is. And it's not the ideal to be, have a thought process interrupted, but if they were here mm-hmm. and, you know, they know for my, for my thinking process, I do love, you know, interruptions do kind of like take me off path and make me less effective, but they don't make me less of a mother or less of a business person. So I would just say blend as much as you can, all of the things you were, all those things together and maybe integrate more of an embodied identity where you're not having to sort or forcing yourself to, we can't even do that anyway. We work from home now since the pandemic. So we're kind of all doing this together. So you're a mom, you're an entrepreneur, you're a wife you're a neighbor, you're a friend, you're a girlfriend, you're a mother, you're all of it. It's just certain things require, are, are, you're now kind of like leaning here and leaning there and, um, stop trying to, to compartmentalize, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. It's like the house, the example you gave, right? It's that mind and body and just really having that harmony. That's what I like to call it work-life harmony because I used to say work-life balance, but then I realized that it doesn't didn't align with me because I didn't feel like you can have full balance. There's never full balance in anything we do, depending on the phase of life, the season of life, but understanding when we do bring it together, so much more magic can happen mm-hmm. and being able to really be harmonized in life, yeah. work, mind, body, everything put together. But I'm very <laughs> curious with your experience and all the lessons that you've learned along this journey, what would you say are your top two or three tips for entrepreneurs listening that you really wish you would have known in the beginning or you've learned along the journey? Such a good question. <laughs> My God, if I could go back 20 years ago and talk to myself. We would have had a very loving heart to heart. We'll say the least. The biggest thing I would say is that if you were given the vision and you were given the desire, actually even more than that, I'll back up. If you were given the desire, but you don't necessarily have the vision, Mm -hmm. do not encumber yourself with somebody else's vision, somebody else's path, somebody else's summit, somebody else's design. You can take frameworks Mm -hmm. from somebody else. Mm -hmm. If somebody's doing an outcome that you would like and their work, they're successful at it. Instead Mm -hmm. of trying to build their exact mountain, take the outline, the coloring book, color it different, 
but yes, some of the framework, some of the, the logistics, some of the strategy can be used, but ultimately you were given the desire because it's yours and it's going to be tailored to your personality, tailored to your, the gifts that you have to the world. It all involves that. When you try to work for somebody else's summit, somebody else's mountain, somebody else's desire, somebody else's goal, somebody else's success or level thereof, you are disqualifying yourself, your authenticity, your gifts, everything that would have made it better because it's yours. Mm -hmm. It's a definition of staying in your lane, but it's hard to stay in your lane when you have the desire and don't know what the lane looks like yet. And especially mm -hmm. as entrepreneurs and startups, mm -hmm. we are so afraid that our idea, our magic little precious gift that was given to us, this creative thought is not going to pan out well, or it's going to be not warmly received by the world, or it's going to fail or <laughs> the counterintuitive fear that it's going to succeed. Mm -hmm. And then we'll have to grow or change or evolve. Stay with you the whole time mm -hmm. use a strategy if it works but if it it's going to unseat part of you don't use it because it's not that's not the that's not the move right. the other thing so if it still travels back to authenticity stay mm -hmm. with you the whole time um and then stay curious because napoleon hill says that failure is not failure until observed so refuse to observe failure. Mm. You either win or you learn. It's the more common phrase that's used, but it's super hyperbolic and I don't love it. What I love is that if you refuse to call it failure, you can still extract some sort of lesson in it. You can still extract some sort of gift in it. And so stay curious, stay curious, keep the questions. I love both of those. And I, I think it's just staying curious allows us to stay in our lane too, being authentic to ourselves because no one's going to do it exactly like you are and I am. And that's where even the name of entrepreneurship by design came about was really to focus on everybody builds it in a different way. There is no right or wrong way of doing it, but really staying true to who you are because you have, everybody has unique gifts and especially what you've been able to accomplish and just really giving back to so many women in particular of understanding that they can just achieve this potential that's inside of them, but being awakened and realizing that they have that opportunity to do it if they set their mind and their body to it as well. A hundred percent. And I'm so curious with all the stuff on the back end of business, there's a lot of tech and tools and software and apps. Is there any in particular that you use that have really helped your business? Absolutely. <laughs> I am a shortcut hack app cheat code collector. And so it depends on the industry, but for, you know, I've, I have more than one business right now. My favorite right now is the, the Fathom note taker for Zoom. It's free. It records your transcripts. It automatically gives you an AI generated summary. It, um, the questions are, um, everything's there. It's brilliant. I love it. I just got told about it by my accountability coach, um, Alejandra. And then I want to say, gosh, there's so many brilliant tech out there. Audacity for podcast editing is really, really good. Also free for audio editing. I'm still not totally signed in and bought into the whole AI thing yet. It's just a user, an inexperienced user that's still kind of fiddling with it. Cause as far as the writing, you know, I write for a living. And so when I try to get something AI generated to create writing a little bit faster, I still, am just like, Ugh, no, I could I could throw spaghetti at a wall and end up with better copy. So I don't know too much of the AI tech that maybe mm -hmm. a lot of people are searching for, but there is, what is it called? CapCut for editing mm -hmm. video. I love StreamYard for mm -hmm. multiple channels of video live streaming. It basically takes you live stream in StreamYard and it connects to uh, Facebook groups, YouTube, LinkedIn, all at once. It does it all at the same time. And yeah, those are really, really good questions. And I think that, that those are the ones that are coming to mind right now. Oh, um, clean your, uh, clean, what is it called? Hang on, let me, clean my Mac X is another one for, uh, if you have a Mac computer at home, especially if you have a desktop or, you know, 
you could go into PCs and I could usually go into the library of files and know exactly what I'm going to delete all the, all the old cache and everything. Macs are a little bit more complex, which makes them amazing because they don't get eaten by viruses very, um, they don't, viruses just don't really touch them. I have had this desktop that I'm talking on right now since 2011. I'm not kidding. And it works just fine. It's fast. It has large files and videos uploaded to it constantly. I have never had a single issue and I would credit it to the clean my Mac X, um, program that you can download on the, and it basically is like, Hey, your computer's going to run a little slow. Hey, you might want to scan it. It runs deep scans. It's mm-hmm. hack life hack. I have not had to buy a new computer because of it. <laughs> oh my God. Life changing <laughs> little things that make a huge difference. Yes. <laughs> And I'm really curious, what are your future goals and aspirations? I know you have multiple businesses, the podcast, the workbook, but what are you looking forward to in the next year or so? The next year, gosh, I would love to see this workbook take the world by storm and create an entire movement of just, gosh, could you imagine if people knew themselves and they were themselves and they were able to self-reference, they were able to be more aware, more resourceful, more connected, more loving, more open, more sure of their boundaries, more sure of their outlines, the world would just change. We would have better relationships. We would not get ourselves stuck in the same patterns. We would not be miserable. We would not be comparing on social media. Uh, We would not be buying things to try and fill these voids or gaps or make ourselves feel worthy or enough. We would, we'd be more confident. I can't imagine anything better than a more authentic, more confident, more connected world. And so I'd love to just wildfire this thing all over the place. I'd love to be speaking on speaking tours, speaking on stages, hosting massive events where alumni from this book just created this family where we're really actually developing friendships and lifelong, not only to ourselves, but then outward facing the inward facing relationship first, the outward facing relationship catch it. I hope this whole thing catches on like a wildfire. We could even end suicide. I mean, ending emotional and mental crisis for the world would be, I could not think of a life better lived. Well, I can't wait for everybody to get the workbook and for it to spread like wildfire, being able to really help people understand themselves more so, so they have the tools and really end things that are not serving us anymore. So we can stand powerfully and change the world and make it a little bit brighter, lighter, and just really taking care of ourselves at the end of the day. But Kara, I've so enjoyed this conversation. Where can people find you? Find your workbook as well. We'll link everything below, but if you could let us know too. Yes. So if they want something small and Mm bite-sized, a little daily breath work, tapping into a little bit more authenticity, a little bit more clarity, a little bit more energy to wake up and create a life that you actually love. I have a little 15 minute somatic breath work session that moves you through some cathartic releases and just helps you tap in just a little bit to regulate the nervous system on a day-to-day basis programmed for authenticity. And that I can include that it's carapayton.com slash daily. I can include that link for you. I'm really social media conscious. So I'm not as ever present is if you want the bad humor and the Harry Potter and all of the behind the scenes crap that's in my personal life, I'm on Instagram, but I, I tend to kind of, that's really the only place I hang out website is getting revamped uh, in the summer to include all of that, to make it more of an intimate hangout space for people to have real connection and community. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just carapayton.com, but carapayton with a little underscore is me on Instagram. And that, yes, I will. I'm on the other side of the phone. I'm easy to reach voice note me a voice note back. I love creating conversations with the people that are in my world. I love it. And I so appreciate you coming on, just sharing your beautiful light with us and everything you're doing to make the world a better place for us all to live in. But it really speaks volumes of just everything that you've had to endure your life, but how you're giving back to so many women and really giving that voice to people to stand in their power and know that they can create it. You're a creator of your world. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment below. What was the biggest takeaway from Kara today? I'm sure she would love to see that comment and we'll see you on the next episode.